Welcome to another edition of Thinking Like a Lawyer. I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined by Chris Williams, who also is with Above the Law. I don't know why I always say where I'm from first. If we're all from the same place, I should probably wait, right? Yeah, old habits die hard. Yeah. So, yeah, and we're here, as usual, to talk about some of the big stories of the week that we've covered at Above the Law. You know, but we start off, as always, with a little bit of small talk. Which is kind of a cover for another uh, legal story, but like a, maybe a little less exciting one. Chris, have you followed the the Fourth Amendment bear? I did. Um, <laughs> and for those listening, this isn't a new fancy Twitter account that sends out notifications when other Fourth Amendment cases with bears happen. But I wouldn't be surprised if that becomes a thing. I mean, um, it may well be. If it is, I think I, I would hope it would have one tweet. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope there's not a lot of Fourth Amendment bear cases, but who knows? I I find it interesting, actually. Their libertarians are big on two things. One is being against uh, government tyranny, and second being knowing every state's minimum age of consent laws. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. With this one, I found it interesting. They were making the argument that the government functionally turned this bear into a bear nine, you know, yeah. And I read your take on it. It was like, no, they just wanted to. I feel like your take was, no, they just wanted to see who was feeding these damn bears. Right. I think, so, that so they, no, I think that the state has an interest in doing what it did that's besides surveillance. So to lay, to lay this out for people first, we, we, we got to lay the, the groundwork here. So this is about a bear in Connecticut that wildlife officials put a camera on uh, and then turned the bear loose. Uh, the wildlife officials are now being sued, uh, and it's become kind of a cause celeb in libertarian circles, as Chris was saying, because they're being sued by property owners of a 117-acre property who claim that the government, by putting this camera on this bear that they assumed that the government assumed they claim would eventually end up on this family's property. They had really turned it into a reconnaissance, a warrantless reconnaissance of their territory and that it was taking pictures and video of their home and all. And so they're suing and claiming constitutional violations. Okay. With that groundwork said, go for it. Yeah. I, you know, lawyers are apt to, you know, lateral thinking and coming up with bad hypothetical scenarios. I mean, that's why we hate Gunner so much. But I just thought about a scenario like, is it really a catch-all defense for a governing body to be like, oh, no, we're doing this because of some legitimate ecological interest, even if it has the effect of surveilling people? So, for example, like, you know that meme that birds mm -hmm. are actually just government drones, right? Well, yes, because that's, yeah. Because birds aren't real. True. They aren't yeah. real. You know, yeah. when COVID happened. When COVID happened, I'm sure everybody else noticed that there was like a lot of, there was a dip in government funding and there were like no birds outside. Anyway, it was weird. Imagine if there was some study, the, I, don't, I don't know, like Department of Ecology, let's say that's a thing. They decided to document the breeding habits of pigeons in high crime areas. And to do so, they just attached small cameras to their feet or to their necks just so they could see what the pigeons are doing. And of course, I had the effect of being able to like give high detailed information about what everybody in their surrounding area was doing. I would understand why somebody would be like, hey, this is an intervention in, you know, 
an expectation of privacy. Well, so so if they're doing it outside, there's not really an expectation of privacy. So it's a, the the key to this is that they're trying to say that this bear got close enough to get pictures inside their house. Because even though the the libertarian argument is, hey, it's our property, it's you know, so anywhere on our property they can't go. That's not how the law tends to be. The law tends to say that if you own 117 acres, like you've open field doctrine, you don't have an expectation of privacy out there. But it's also sure. true that so so do you have a re, do, do the did the government have a reason to do this? So as it turns out, the part of the story that a lot of the coverage was glossing over is that the basis of putting this camera on these bears is these bears are getting closer and closer to residential areas and they want to find out why. And they suspect that it's because the bears are being fed by humans, which is luring them into the area. And in particular, it it seems as though it might be this couple who is feeding the bears. And so they put a camera on it to find out who's feeding the bear, which seems like that's a pretty reasonable search. Now, what happens with the bear, if it gets close enough and is taking pictures inside a house, you know, if it would be bad, but I don't think it's anything that isn't curable by just not letting those pictures form the basis of any kind of prosecution, right? Like it's, we have this situation a lot, that whole fruit of the poisonous tree thing. If, if the government comes upon evidence that they shouldn't have, then they can't use that evidence to pursue claims against somebody. And that cures the the problem uh but but yeah i mean so this is, i think that's yeah. i think that's a little naive i mean it's also the case that like if prosecutors have evidence that they know could be helpful towards proving somebody's innocence they're required to let that be known to the other party but it's not like the brady rule prevents those things from happening i mean it does to some degree but it doesn't like rule it out completely so like i don't think it's a, a save all to be like oh well poison yeah. fruit doctrine well, yeah, so right. So, okay, fair enough. A, a lot of the times this is abused and the police are allowed to find, they're, they're given court blessing to find all sorts of workarounds to the, this doctrine. That's fair. But it's also true that in, you know, we decide these things in, in like a, as a matter of law, we decide them in kind of like a platonic ideal. The court's going to say that would be the cure to the problem because we don't think these this couple actually has. I mean, who knows? But what we don't actually think this couple has anything going on in their house that would give rise to a prosecution. So my assumption is the court will just say, if you did, we would exclude that. You're correct. Oftentimes there's abuses in that exclusion process, but that's the quote unquote cure, assuming it is applied correctly. So I yeah I I think this is a dumb case but nonetheless mm-hmm. but yeah no like it, it's being tri- hyped up as you know animal spies I don't know yeah I do agree that it is dumb but you know you know <laughs> that time where like the it's like sometimes Turley makes a good point I haven't seen it happen in the wild but maybe I did you know? <laughs> I did the it like yes the, the, it just happened he was on Fox News to talk about how the indictment of Trump was completely nonsense and he got very like almost like he'd been hit with a newspaper like a dog hit with a newspaper situation he was just like yeah no this is this is real bad uh so I feel like it, it, I did see it happen he 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 had a moment where it was a broken clock. But yeah, so like with that with that in mind I'm reading it and I'm trying to think of some sort of hypothetical again like just some some possible world in which there would be 
something that looks like the deputization of animals, given oh, yeah. the pretense of some some colorable thing, maybe like justified by like police power, like state police power or some shit like that, or public safety. Because because I can also see how this is being read as like, no, this is a public safety issue. This is not about your privacy. Because like, sure, I grant I grant that in this instance, like open field doctrine is relevant. But like, I'm trying to think what's the what's the interesting scenario like no i i agree that you certainly could say if you knew this bear went onto their property and you assumed that they were you know running a meth lab in their house or something and you said oh well we've just put a camera on a bear and it just happened to catch the meth lab in there they that would be that would be a warrantless search right but i don't think that is a reason why you can't put the camera on the bear for the purpose of figuring out whether or not it's being fed. It's just a reason why the court shouldn't be allowed to use any of that evidence for anything other than is someone feeding the bear? Would, I mean, I mean that, that's what I think. But you're, I mean, you're right that at what point does the fact that these, this doctrine gets applied badly all the time push toward the argument that you shouldn't allow this kind of a search to happen in any event? Uh, that, you know, that kind of doctrine can't protect people in their own homes, you know? Right. Still. And just to be clear, like, I'm not trying to defend libertarians. I mean, come on now. Like, they do CrossFit. Right. It's nice. They can defend themselves. Um, but it is just interesting to think about the implications of, yeah, their, no. of their best arguments. Yeah, I thought this was a very, very stupid case. If, you, if I read another thing that is this pun laden written by you, mm. when I'm back in the States, yeah, no, bear I mean- threat. Bear threat, okay? Bear arms. We're going to bear arms. How about that? All right. Listen. It was well, no that. Well, that's the thing. The the they they didn't take away the animals' arms, and that's the only interest, any real rights that it has. The right to have its arms. And at this point, everyone is lucky. I do not have access to the soundboard. All right. All right. Well, let's let's have a pause on that, and oh, and end. Uh, small talk there and get to like an actual subject. So uh, actual subject, it, was there any big legal news towards the end of last week? I might've missed it. No, no. Yeah. Outside I, of like, I don't know, like some, some Trump dude. Oh He's yes. In the news again. Yes. So uh, we have a indictment, a federal indictment of Trump in the classified documents case. Uh, it's fairly significant. It's 37 counts. Uh, the indictment is, it is a lot worse than I think a lot of folks thought, and I think a lot of folks thought it was going to be pretty bad because mishandling documents and not turning them over and then allegedly lying to the government that you had done a search and turned them over and when you hadn't is real bad. However, the indictment seemed to have a lot more about taken from the attorney notes. It seems as though there was some moments where Trump was confronted with this and pitched, let's just tell them we don't have anything, uh, which would have, would have been a lie. He, there is some evidence in there that he was aware that it, these things weren't declassified, which somewhat blows up his argument that he declassified everything, and that's why this doesn't really matter. Uh, it's it's a pretty pretty rough uh, document there for the, uh, for the Trumpster. The next development with this case, of course, was that it then goes to it's assigned initially to Judge Cannon, who folks might remember as the judge who tried to kill the warrant in the first place by allowing a weird collateral attack 
civilly of a criminal investigation. Uh, it was it was a bold attempt. It was an attempt that led an arch conservative panel of the 11th Circuit to write a scathing opinion calling her an idiot. So she's got this case again. Uh, we'll see how long that lasts. Uh, the indictment, the arraignment is going to be theoretically on Tuesday. Uh, we'll see. There's some question whether or not Trump can get local counsel in time. One would expect the Department of Justice will ask Judge Cannon to step aside at that time, given that she's already been bench slapped silly uh, with regard to this case. There's some good legal precedent for a judge to be recused if they've made statements similar to the ones that she made in that earlier action. So one would think she'd recuse. Well, that's a question. Do you think she, the law seems to be pretty good that if she were to fight to keep this case, the 11th Circuit would probably tell her no. That said, do you think she goes forward with this or does she get out of the way? So the thing that I think is interesting about it is this kind of just happened. Like it just fell into her. It fell into her lap. And like she sought mm -hmm. this out. Um, the the process by which this came to be heard one dealing with it was completely fair game. And well, she could, so, she could yeah. um, just decide to like, be like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not biased and I can do that. Cause she was already on a, a Trump case, you know? So she, there's like some basis for her being like, Oh, this is just another one. Right. So, well, the question of course is, can, does she, if she does that, I, I think, so I guess I guess the, the the and you're right that this was a random a wheel assignment so it was randomly assigned to her. That said, question yeah. there's there's a deeper philosophical question of just how random it is given there are multiple vacancies in that district that are open for longer than Biden has been president and these vacancies are open because the because Marco Rubio is preventing them from being filled. So yeah. there was a like a one in seven chance that she was going to be the judge when in actuality it should have been a one in 10, if not a one in 11 chance. Mm -hmm. But it happened. The, the odds were better for her to get it yeah. for political reasons. But yeah. so there's that philosophical question. But right. Well, so I think she, there's, there's yeah. a distinction between like issues contextually and issues procedurally. I'm saying procedurally, mm -hmm. it doesn't seem that there's any fault. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they spun it. Uh, it. It's random. It's not like they tried to give it to her. Yeah. I had, there, there had early on been some thought, and I actually entertained this thought that administratively, put aside how that other case ended, administratively, the court might have said, she's already had a case related to some of the underlying facts, and so it's efficient to give it to her. Uh, but apparently mm -hmm. that wasn't the case. But in any event, uh, yeah, there, the case law seems pretty good that she would be kicked off this case if she let it if she let it ride now does she want to be a hero and let it ride and and let herself get scolded again by the 11th circuit or does she run and try and uh, avoid getting that career albatross it's going to be an interesting question it's going to say a lot about where what she thinks she is does she think she's a judge or is she really angling to be a political hack i felt like the the biggest consequence in your article was like, but what about the rule of law? And like, I don't really think that as a consequence has much teeth left to it. So like, well, yeah. I don't, so like, so what, <laughs> so what she does with an S like would be really bad for historians looking back on this period. We're in this context, we're in this situation because <laughs> yeah, we're I in just the rule of law it, crisis. I, yeah, no, I mean, that's true. Like, and 
Like a lot of people online are are making the point that, you know, she's got a lifetime job. Why would she even worry? But, you know, like it, it is a lifetime job. But judges, in some ways, they have to live with this going forward. And they deep down... 99% 99% of them, they, they want to be viewed as professionals. They want to be respected. Like it, it's, it's a whole thing. And when the 11th Circuit and when conservatives on the 11th Circuit are writing opinions mocking your ability to understand basic law, that stings. Uh, and it means it, it's hard for you to get clerks. It's hard for you to get you know, outside teaching assignments. It's hard for you to potentially transition to practice if you ever wanted to go back. It's hard for you to run for office if you choose to go that route. Like, I I don't know. I feel like deep down she's got to look at this and think, this is this is not worth it. I, I'm going to lose anyway. I may as well get out of the way myself. But, or she can try to be, uh, try to be a MAGA hero. Uh, it, it would fail, but it would be something she could try. I mean, it. People do a lot for the sake of martyrdom. Mm, so like, there's yeah. there's a way of romanticizing even the risk of failure. So like, it's so like I think that like, because what I'm hearing you saying was like, oh, it'll be a blow to ego if she were to, you know, let the certainly a blow to ego. Yeah, but like, it's, it also depends on like what do you, what what hill you're what what hill you, what hills you're willing to die on for you to be able to be like, oh, this person's ego and not allow them to do X Y Z. You know. Yeah, I I don't know. I I feel like it's just so hard to keep doing this job day in and day out if you're getting battered like that reputationally. But don't want to cut this short, but I also have a feeling we're going to be talking about this case again a few times probably before it's all over. Calidus AI cleverly supports you by suggesting relevant law to address your complex issues. Put in simple questions or longer fact patterns, then Calidus asks you to confirm if points are salient before proceeding. Use Calidus to check if you found all the key concepts, cases, and statutes. Calidus turns that into a high-quality, customer-ready document. Handle complexity confidently with Legal's most advanced AI platform. Get $90 off your first two months. Use promo code Joe at CalidusAI.com. That's C-A-L-L-I-D-U-S-A-I.com. Hey, Gee, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Gee, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network. Available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, transitioning from heavy criminal stuff to less uh, criminal stuff, a big law question. Uh, Davis Polk joined the four days in an office revolution that Skadden started a little bit ago. So they're going to transition to requiring everyone to be in the office Monday through Thursday. This is a quite the reversal from a firm that had been on a three-day process and had been making statements as far as anyone can tell that this is working, we love our system, we don't need to change, uh, and they are now pulling that rug out now that they see another firm having done it. Questions on the table are, 
well, one, what the hell, and two, is this the beginning of some kind of a cavalcade, or is this slippery slope going to stop with these folks? Is it to be decided, but I'm also like, I wonder how much of this is real estate interest playing a, yep. playing it, you know, because it has to be a big part of it, because it's like, hey, you know, we're renting out these office spaces, and people are only in, let's say... 60% of the time, we need to bump it up to 80. I don't know, because we have, I don't know, whatever contracts. Wasn't there like a, a boom? No, there, I'm sure it's a long-term lease. Yeah. Yeah. And so like my thing is like, I'm wondering if this is a, um, the four-day work week is a happy medium between real estate costs and the need to have people there in person for mentorship or if this is just, the you know, another cut before it's back to five and then six and then eight-day weeks, you know, back in the <laughs> golden days before the air was spicy. You know? Yeah, I mean, like, it, like look, people are, these are big law firms. They're working seven days a week anyway. Uh, the question is just where they do it. And is. And we've actually reached a point where, you know, this isn't like the pure working from home era of the pandemic. We're, we were on three and we're talking about four. So it's really not fair to try and compare this to people working from home. It's, it's fair to compare it to three. Is adding Monday to the calendar really the thing? that makes all the difference in mentorship or whatever. It justifies having the office space, I suppose, but the office space is baked in whether you're in there or not. You could at least turn the heat off if people aren't there all the time, I suppose. But, I mean, the take that I gave uh, in one of my articles about it was that what's really going on here is there's a, a slice of the partnership that wants friends around. They feel lonely going in the office. They like going in the office and they feel lonely and they want the people that they pay a lot of money to pretend to be their friends to be in the office with them pretending to be their friend. And that's why we're in this joint. And I'll say I made that comment and a anonymous, I'll, I'll leave them anonymous, a, a partner did write and say, yeah, that's pretty much what my <laughs> colleagues are thinking. I can I can I could go ahead and say that's my interpretation of what my colleagues are thinking, not a partner at Davis Polk or Scadden, but at another firm saying that in those discussions, that's the takeaway that the partner gets is that it's just we really we really want the little sycophants around, you know, and like, look, it's nice to have sycophants, I'm sure. I mean, I don't I don't because I'm just a blogger. But like if I uh, if I were a big law partner. I'm sure it would be nice to have 20, 30 people who feel like I'm the reason they get paid, but whatever. I, I, I think that's just a sad situation to be in, not for the associates, but also, but just for the partners. I mean, that has to be the big law equivalent of thinking that the wait, waitress actually likes you, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah right. they're, they're only there because for the check. Right? <laughs> this isn't, I mean, if you, if you're, if your idea of a social interaction is contractual obligation, then ugh. Get better friends. Yeah. yeah, you don't need. Yeah, but that's the thing. When are they going to get better friends? They're working a hundred hours a week. They yeah. don't have time to go find friends anyway. So let's talk about the law firm Barbarainen, which no longer is Barbarainen. <laughs> yeah, it, like I, that. That chuckle was kind of the. <laughs> you know, it's a serious is, issue, but <laughs> it's just I just imagine like uh, Prince is somewhere looking down, shaking in his head. Because I feel like that's the only person that should be like formally known as. <laughs> like for a firm to go as formally known as after like, what was it? Was it, was it even two weeks? No, nah, it was it was real fast. Real yeah, fast. You know. So Barbara Rainin was the law firm that was 
we talked a little bit, a bit about it when it happened. A uh, major defection from Lewis Brisbois. They brought uh, uh, two labor employment lawyers in California who took over around 100 other of their colleagues to form a new firm. It was a big blow. Obviously, Lewis Brisbois, big firm. So losing 100 some odd lawyers is not the end of the world. But, you know, it forced the, the founder into retirement, basically from stepping down from managing. So it was a big deal. And then a couple weeks later, uh, the New York Post is given some emails that Barber and Rainin exchanged over the years. I don't know, you know, like very convenient that the spurned law firm managed to hand these over. But we have years worth of racist, sexist, anti-Semitic emails exchanged by the named partners of the new firm, and they have already left. <laughs> so firm has now changed its name. It's uh, questionable whether or not it's going to keep going. I mean, obviously, the named partners are probably the most significant rainmakers. So we'll see. Well, you know, what's interesting, what, what I, my takeaway from it was, and this is, I mean, there's a lot to take away, obviously. But the dumb thing that I took away, and I think, I think we all depend on above the law to come away with kind of the dumb but significant thing, right? I think that's fair. Why are these emails, how do, they, how do they still exist? Like, do you not have a document retention policy? Like, why are there emails with these sorts of things in them from years and years ago still in the system? Like, you've got to get rid of that. Like, put aside the content of the emails. If it's not going in a case file, a matter file, it should be gone within, I don't know, six months, a year, something like that. Like, what's going on at Lewis Brisbois? That was my tech takeaway of this story. Like, above all the, 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 all the substance of it, as bad as that was, all I could think is, how, how badly run is that document retention program? My immediate thought was, so a labor and employment mm -hmm. uh, cohort was immediately disbanded because of a labor and employment issue. Like you'd think yeah. that these are, the, I'm just thinking about it substantially. Like these are the people that should know, Hey, you don't want to have a paper trail of shit like this. Right. <laughs> like not even like the, I mean, yes, but like you're, so yours is like the tech Avenue of the paper. Yeah. trail. I'm like the, this is your bread and butter. Yeah. This is like, this, <laughs> this is, is like all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is like Cochran getting called, uh, Cochran getting called slurring people while trying on gloves that fit him. It's like, come on, like, this is you. This is your thing. Why are you doing that? <laughs> no, that's fair. And obviously, you know, they're they're a big firm, so they're more on the side of companies than 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 the folks who are discriminated against. But you know, like you said, that's more reason for them to be on top of what you don't leave as a paper trail. I mean, yeah. I like people, like yeah. mid slur, they should have been like, hey. This reminds me of last week. Anywho, you know who I don't like? Like, come on. <laughs> like, when you yeah. are the hypo, you should, it should, the ding, there should be a bell dinging, you know? Yeah. I, I wonder if, you know, and this is like, a, this is, I've not really thought this through, but I wonder if as a practice group, it cuts the other way sometimes too. Like on the one hand, you think they should know better, but on the other hand, because they deal with these sorts of issues so often these you know they it doesn't even register with them sometimes the impact that using this sort of language can have because they every matter they have involves it and they're constantly dealing with people saying this or that or whatever and so they 
it, it it's almost like the they're surrounded by it and it, it becomes they become numb to the impact of it. I don't know. Outside of a professional context, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's it's certainly something that you would think they would view with a lot more sensitivity. But I mean, maybe that is that's the issue that they they become numb to it at a certain point. But yeah, yeah. so you saying that remind me of one of the scenes of Breaking Bad where you know Hank, uh, mm-hmm. the DEA agent. He goes, he gets a promotion, and then like he's just straight up being a bigot. And he's like, I thought we were, I thought we were gonna get these guys. And they're like, hey, what are you doing, man? We don't, we don't do that here. <laughs> like, <laughs> there are certain like um contextual understandings, like because we're the people policing this stuff, we can do this sort of situation yeah. going on. Yeah, exactly. Like it, that that's a good analogy. Like the the you feel you're the police of it, so you think you can get away with it. Which I'll just throw a plug in. Not that we are covering this topic today, but that was my takeaway on the Alabama maps case in the Supreme Court, that John Roberts was less changing to become more open to discrimination in election law and more thinking, wait a minute, I'm the one who gets to decide now, so I don't, if I'm the police of this, I don't care. Anyway, so, so people can read that if they wish. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, I think that's, that's everything unless we have some other... I don't know, animal-related constitutional law issue. Well, I will say our small talk mm-hmm. was at least medium talk. So just as yeah. a, in case anyone's interested to think about it, visit Angkor Wat. It's very nice. It's in um, yeah. Sim Reap in Cambodia. It's like one of the, like it was like a long, just old civilization got found hundreds of years later. It's wild the things people can make without internet access. Like mm-hmm. just seeing these buildings, I'm like, who etched that? <laughs> you know, yeah. like with what? Like they had, there were, there were, there were these, there was these massive stone temples that had irrigation oh, no. systems. Oh no, Chris is going full ancient aliens on us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not less ancient aliens. More, what lows did they go to, or what Home mm-hmm. Depot did they have back then that we didn't know about? Because I'm like, this, how did you, how did you do that? You know. Yeah, um, it it was ace back then. Anyway, all right. So with that said, we will uh, we'll we'll close up now. So thanks for listening. You should be subscribed to the show to get new episodes when they come out. You should be reading above the law. You should also listen to the Jabot, which is Catherine's, who's not with us now, but Catherine's podcast. You can listen to the. Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable, which I do, which I'm a panelist on every week. We had a very extended and robust discussion of the Bear case there, too. Uh, you could, you should check out the other offerings of the Legal Talk Network. Be sure to read above the law to read these and other stories before we talk about them. Follow on social media. The publication is at ATL blog. I'm at Joseph Patrice. Chris is at rights for rent as in he's writing things for you to read for rent. So that's that. Yeah, I think that's everything. Do all those things. Leave us reviews, stars, write something nice. It always helps the algorithm. And with that, we will uh, talk to you next week. Peace. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, 
lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.